Greetings, you're on Deep Background for, I always mess this up, what is the date? Uh, I think it's the 8th of the February. The 8th of February, 2017. Uh, Dave Helling with the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board. Joining us today is the newest hire here at the Kansas City Star, our friend Brian Lowry. By the way, you've read Brian's stuff in the Star, so it's not completely new, but Brian, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, there was a, there was a, I, I previously worked for the Star's sister paper, the Wichita Eagle, in Topeka, so uh, my byline's probably familiar for star readers. There was even a period where, during the historic 2015 session, uh, I was kind of writing copy for both papers, uh, and you know, I my my uh, thing that I'm looking at this year is that I think the 2017 session has the potential. The potential to make to, 2015 look like right, a cakewalk. To, to never, we'll talk about that. They may never adjourn this year. And then our good friend Scott Cannon is well here. Hey. Scott, great to be with you. Well, let's start on the Kansas side. We've got a lot to talk about in terms of both Missouri and Kansas. They're both facing similar problems, although the challenges are a bit different in each state. But what's the state of play in Topeka now, Brian, to start? I mean, we've they've got a huge budget hole they yep. have to fill mm-hmm. by by the uh, 1st of July, right. and then a huger budget hole to fill yeah. for the next two fiscal So there, these are two... These are two related, very closely related problems. Uh, They have to balance the books for this current fiscal year, which goes through the end of June. Um, And the issue with that is taxes aren't really an option for the year that you're already in. Kind of the way the tax system works is it takes some time for a tax uh, a new tax plan to go into effect, and so it really is only going to help you in the future years. Right. And even so, if you did a sales tax, it would take at least ninety days to get the charts and all right, that other right. stuff. Right, right. So it's as 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 far as getting just out of the the current year intact. Um, lawmakers either have to look at very deep budget cuts, or they have to do some sort of weird accounting trick. And that's going to be, that's really what's happening right now is the governor has put out a plan where the state has this long-term investment fund. This goes back to the uh, early 2000s, where uh, back in the years where Kansas wasn't in a perpetual budget hole, when state agencies and and other things would have this, uh, some leftover funds, they would deposit uh, some of this into this long-term investment account that they've they've built up. And so... And then they invest that money to make money. Right, right. And so Brownback wants to basically empty out that entire um, account and then promise to pay it back over uh, seven years. years. Should we ever have viewed that as a rainy day fund? Because it certainly is a rainy day now, or should we not (laughs) view it as a rainy day fund? Well, and that's the thing is it's... um, I think there are some lawmakers who are like, that makes sense. And this is actually one of the funny areas is this is a rare occasion where the people who are siding with Sam Brownback are the Democrats, the Democrats who want to prevent the really deep cuts. While they disagree with a lot of the governor's other budget proposals and and tax proposals, that is one that they agree with. This, this is $360 million that is sitting here. We can tap, and they want to get to it. Yeah. Whereas Brownback's now facing resistance from Republicans, uh, especially a—, a a pool of conservative Republicans who have gone, who've gotten increasingly uncomfortable with, with his fiscal management, who they they see this as an accounting trick, and they it doesn't do anything to actually fix the structural yeah, we, problem. We should be clear about the size of the problem here, because I think people have missed yeah. it at least in this fiscal year. 
$350 million is about 5% of the general fund, right? Mm-hmm. The general fund in Kansas is about $6 billion, give or right. take. But since you have to do it, in essence, in a four-month time frame, right. it's almost like a 10% shortfall. Right. That's a huge budget hole that even if you could do taxes, it's going to right. be tough. And to this is at. one reason why some lawmakers uh, of both parties, back when we got these numbers in November, wanted the governor to make cuts through his executive power then. Because if you do it all on state agencies in the last three months of the fiscal year, that's a huge impact. I but mean, it would have been yeah, huge at ha- It would have been huge at any point. But any phase, point. And then the challenge they face is then there's a $580 million hole uh, facing them for the year after that. And, you know, really, so we're about, if you, over an 18-month period, really a $900 million uh, hole. And so the governor's plans for that are even more controversial. But right now, uh, what Senate GOP leaders are pushing is a a plan that has some very tough budget cuts for the current fiscal year and then a tax increase uh, to get us through the next right. year. Right. I get the sense, Scott, that uh, the, the, the tangled politics of this are that, in essence, some legislators are willing to bite the bullet on some cuts to education uh, to some degree, and even a tax increase, as long as they feel like the problem is getting solved. Um, do, do you sense that, that, that things like cutting schools and cutting higher education, which the governor is hacking out pretty, pretty hard, um, are, are palatable as long as the as we're not writing about this for the next 10 years, or is this another one-time thing? Well, it, it probably helps, right, that it's not an election year, so they got a little more wiggle room than they might have otherwise. That, that's very wise, by the way, because next year it's going to be very difficult. It is an election year, particularly with the governor going. Right. Um, and, you know, the other big factor out there is we're still waiting to hear from the Supreme Court right. on whether the funding of education is adequate, as the Constitution, the state constitution tells us. So I'm a little confused, Brian. You'll be able to clarify for me how we can— cut education if we're about to be told we have to spend more. Right. Well, I think that's the point that you're going to see on the floor when they have this debate on uh, Thursday. And it's it also puts moderate Republicans in a very difficult uh, position. A lot of these moderates campaigned, because uh, the Democrats basically said no. Right. No. Uh, Nothing but, from us. Yeah. Saw but this the, on but your the own. moderates <laughs> who are now in a position where they don't have control of the legislature, they have a voice in, in the legislature. They have, uh, you know, they definitely have bargaining power. A lot of them campaigned on, among other ideas, that schools were underfunded and we want to increase funding uh, for schools. So it is going to be different, you know, getting that coalition together to pass cuts to education, I think it's going to be very difficult. That said, there's not a lot of other good well, options right, the other, out there. But isn't there a, maybe a political solution in, we're in a crisis, our governor's approval ratings are not great. So I, I, I've got a little, as a, a moderate Republican, for instance, I've got some leeway to go mm-hmm. against that. I go after his, his prize baby, the LLC right. income tax exemption. We can raid some of these funds short term. Right. We've already done it with the highway fund. Maybe right. we can do it for So if you you dip into your various piggy banks for the short term and you pass some tax increases, which otherwise would be political death, now you've got to pass A because the I think the public perceives the state is in a financial crisis. 
and schools are sacrosanct in right. Kansas, as in every, everywhere. Right. But and and that's the thing how you'll see the tax the the tax increases framed is that we're doing it one to finally get financially stable, but also it allows lawmakers to say we're doing it for the schools. Uh, but it's hard to do that, Brian, if you cut the schools in yeah, February and then spend more on them in April. I mean, yeah. that that that's the squeeze they're in a little bit. I mean, we, we don't think there's any way that the, the court's going to say you can spend less, right? So how do they justify? The delay and, tells us something interesting, but go ahead. Well, I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm thinking back to last year, and I'm not making any, any predictions, but last year when the court issued the ruling saying that uh, we, we had gotten, uh, we were unconstitutional on the equity side just for a much smaller cut than the one we're talking about here, they issued it the same day that the Senate was uh, primed to debate a, a budget bill, a bill that was meant to just get us through that current year. So, you know, the I do you do get the sense that the court is to some extent waiting to see what the legislature is going I think to do. There, I think my own view is that the court is actually uh, torn on what to do. Because typically we thought this might come out even in December, certainly before the, you know, at some point to give the legislature time to deal with it. Here we are the middle of February and we still haven't seen anything. That suggests that to me anyway, that the justices are really trying to find language that gives some running room to the legislature, but tells them at some level you've got to do a, a better job in this stuff. And I think the $128 million cut uh, uh, in K through 12 offered by Senator Jim Denning yesterday might be a way to say you've you, you got to you know let us know what you're going to do because otherwise the razor really comes out. What what I so mean, should we be expecting greater clarity from the court than we've had in the past? Is or will there well, be the a way for them to die? Well, the, the Supreme Court. I mean, they what they will do is they will put out a very nuanced ruling that doesn't actually have a specific a dollar amount. But there will be education experts who can read that ruling and tell us a specific dollar amount. They'll give the legislature some sort of kind of safe harbor where if you do this, you can be um, you can be assured that we're going to accept it. But at the same time, they'll have a phrase in there that you can try something different, but you're basically rolling the dice, which is what we've uh, seen in the past. Yeah, but then you'll have you'll have tea leaves on top of tea leaves on oh, top of yeah. tea leaves. Uh -huh. the, the court interpreting what the Constitution says and trying to apply it to this situation, and then you know, so-called ex education experts then interpreting the court, and then the yeah. the committees of committees that is a state legislature then interpreting that. School finance is its own language. You know, it's it's probably easier to learn Greek than it is to learn school finance. Yeah. What, uh, final question before we move to Missouri. Where, does, where is Sam Brownback in all this mess? I mean, you talked a little bit about he made some threats yesterday, but some things he'd like to look at. He, he seems almost like a non-entity in a way, that everybody runs to get, get the quote from the governor to put in their stories, but the reality is right. the, the, these folks are off on their own. Sue Wagle, the Senate well, president, is in a, a open warfare with the guy. <laughs> I mean, he's almost a non-entity in a way, well, there's, Brian. There's some that, Democrats right? who think that's almost a tactic, that he can kind of let— the legislature out, out there and own this uh, for a little while and struggle to pass a, uh, a solution, and yeah. then he can come back 
uh, say a few months and idea. say, hey, <laughs> I gave you a plan already. Um, or he can swoop in at the know. end and, and, and be decisive and say, okay, you guys yeah. agree on something. Here's some specific I mean, solution. I mean, really, really, I think you, you look back to how the governor played 2015, which is when the state was in a very similar position, facing a huge financial hole, and we needed to see what he was going to He was not very active in that process for a lot of that session. And we waited and we waited and we waited. Lawmakers started getting some traction with um, with plans that he didn't like. And then you had the budget director and the revenue secretary going out there really on the governor's behalf, telling lawmakers, yeah, he's going to veto it. And uh, so that kind of hit a dead stop to uh, to some of those plans. And then when there was a plan that, you know, the governor could get behind, he went and he gave a speech where he got a little teary-eyed right. to the to a joint caucus meeting of uh, Senate and House Republicans. And, you know, a few days later, they, they passed that plan. So, But let's be clear, 15 is not 17. I mean, in right, 15, he right. had allies in the legislature right. and, and generally the Republican Party behind him. You don't get that sense at all in 2017 that... that, that he has any right. capital left with these but folks. But I think the th- the key is that people who want to basically disregard the governor and pass their own plan, they need a veto-proof majority because they can't be sure that he's just going to sign whatever he sends well, them. There's not a veto-proof and, majority for virtually right. anything. And that's what makes this difficult. I mean, I, I had a conversation with uh, a, a, a GOP staffer the other day. Their goal isn't 21 votes which is what it takes to pass a bill in the Senate. Their goal is 27, which is a veto-proof majority. And that's going to be the challenge of, okay, they might pass this in the Senate. Does it die in the House? If, if Even if passed that, will the governor sign it? So I think in everything, people are trying to kind of jump that extra hurdle. But boy, what an amazing political dilemma if you're a Democrat in the legislature, for example, and you're asked to provide that veto-proof vote or to help on the veto-proof vote. And what you're trying to support is a tax increase, you know, cuts to education. The Democrats have sort of a right to sort of walk away and say, it's your mess, don't they, Scott? I mean, or do they have some moral obligation to be a part of whatever they come up with that? Well, I'll let you opinion guys determine their their moral (laughs) obligations. It would be interesting to see whether they would take that, it's your problem, not ours. I I think that you're, you know, you— if you switch to the national level, if there's something that's happening in the Democratic Party, it's a, a bit of a move to the left. Yes. And, and sort of the anti-Trump movement that's going. And maybe they'll they'll embrace the sort of tax increase. I mean, they were never in favor of the letting LLCs off the hook on income taxes in the first place. So why wouldn't they vote for it? Well, I get that. But, boy, I mean, it, 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 it's almost—talk it, about the political—the perfect political squeeze play where, in essence, you do some jujitsu and your opponents are the ones arguing for tax increases, which is always a tougher vote. Right. I mean, the, the, the biggest lie in politics is it's tough to cut taxes. That's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing is to do what they're doing now and to, in essence, ask Republican moderates and Democrats to throw themselves over the rail to save Sam Brownback, you know, that's the world turned upside down politically. Right, right. And I mean, I think the weirdest thing is that what you're going to see is right now Brownback is very probably lucky (laughs) that the Democrats aren't hopping, you know, aboard the train at this point. The fact that Democratic leaders panned 
the GOP leadership plan is, is kind of a godsend for, for Sam Brownback because, right. I mean, he may be relying on the Democrats to prevent, uh, you know, any veto-proof majorities. It's an thing, just pulling the sticks out and, and Democrats and Sam Brownback working together. Well, real quick, Brian, so do you see what the Democrats, are they, they playing a game at this point and, and they're making noise or that they're really... So, I mean, I think I think the, here's the thing. So there's there's broad consensus on rolling back the LLC exemption. The question is, what else do you pair it with? Because doing that in, alone does, does not it, fix not the financial close. problem. I mean, it close. makes it makes a dent, but it doesn't it doesn't do it all. And, yeah, but then aren't the and, cigarette taxes and that sort of thing fairly and easy so as tax increases? The go? Democrats want a comprehensive plan. Uh, Republicans are looking at a variety of plans, and it's still unclear whether they can get. Uh, those coalitions together. The governor's obviously looking at cigarette taxes, alcohol taxes, the kind of quote-unquote sin taxes, um, you know, where, you know, tax someone for being a, for, for liking right. for liking a drink. Well, um, but let's also yeah. be clear, uh, the, the Democrats are also, and some moderate Republicans, are also interested in rolling back the sales tax increase on food that was right, passed right. in 2015. That blows a bigger hole in your right. budget, but there's a huge equity issue there. Uh, you know, any package that doesn't right. at least try to roll that back is going to be Couldn't you see some log rolling there? And the, yes. But the GOP leadership plan was much more income tax focused, and it did a couple... It, yeah, it rolled back the LLC thing. It also put back on uh, the tax rolls. So it would also put back on the tax rolls some low-income Kansans who, right. as part of the 2015 package, that was Got kind dropped of off. that was one thing that they could say. See, we're not just helping uh, the business owners. We, we're also now going to exempt these low-income people. Well, those people would go back on the rolls. Everyone would be paying higher rates, and so you know it's. I think the tough thing is this is there's no political win here. Everybody is going to have to. Yes. Whatever is going to happen, people are going to hate. And the tougher thing is, is that it's all interrelated. You talked about log rolling. You bet. There's a deal in there somewhere. Good God, nobody knows where it is. Well, what what is you know, what's the combination that you can turn so that all the tumblers fall into place, both short term. Right. And then long term, I and mean, you've got a two or three year window, and, one, and you've got everybody running for a re-election. In, and one in, reason you're in, seeing some more GOP backlash about the governor's plan, if you look at the governor's plan, uh, it certainly gets you through those uh, the last two years of Sam Brownback's right, governorship. Right, and then, but, but there's a question of what happens after that. Is is the governor going to leave, and then all of a sudden the states? That's why people, there, you know, the talking point that you hear from all lawmakers, whether they're Democrats, moderates, or conservatives, it's structural. They use that word structural so that, and and there's disagreement about what that structural fix is, but I think there is a feeling that the governor's not off. Right, and at some point you can't borrow from transportation anymore or steal from transportation. At some point you can't borrow to make your pension contributions. At some point you have to really get at the actual answer instead of a one-time. Well, it's a little bit like uh, Arrested Development. You know, there's always money in the bananas. That's kind of what (laughs) that has Let's go to Missouri a little bit. uh, Scotty, give me your uh, grade on the early days of uh, Eric Greitens. Uh, I think it's sort of a mixed bag. We're seeing some praises. Budget wasn't really a huge problem with a couple of exceptions. I think the disabled thing may be, a, may be an issue for them and some of the other stuff that's sort of coming out. But by and large, I think people thought the budget was not a huge problem. But on the other hand, he, his personal ethics, his approach, dark money in his campaign, his, his dust-up over pay increases with the Senate, 
Right, refused to say where the money for the inauguration, right, the donors right, were Heidi. there. I mean, it's almost uh, rookie mistakes from Eric Greitens. Do you see it that way or not? Well, I, I don't know if it's... We always go back to Trump too often, but I, I, even during the campaign, I saw rough parallels between Greitens and Trump in the sense of, I'm not from politics, and I'm not going to do things in a politic way. You know, his his arm twisting on the the pay raise vote, you know, that was not how you play nice. It doesn't mean it's not going to be effective. We don't know, um, but you you you, just, you know, this idea of a new sheriff in town, it's it, it is a different vibe and a different way of trying to get people to do things. And yeah. it, I think his, his approach out of the box is to, to be you know, very strong-willed about things. I, I would say that um, I think the Trump-Greitens parallels are a little overdrawn uh, in part because I think Eric Greitens is a pretty smart guy. I think I'm Donald Trump's intellect and intellectual curiosity is... No, I only mean the sense of, of unconventional and no, yes. no less of the... Uh, uh, sense of tradition and right. an old way of doing things. Well, and another way, they're just, they're just uh, both the White House and the Greitens administration are rookies. They don't have a lot of people with a lot of experience in government. Yeah, but you say rookies, which is necessarily, which, which sounds sort of pejorative. No, I don't I'm, I'm opening up the possibility that there may be another way to do things. Well, there's, yeah. there's also the one thing of, of, of fighting <laughs> off the legislative pay increase. Well, it may make you some enemies in the legislature, but it, that's not that's something that probably plays pretty well with voters. I mean, and they're not going to get as yeah. voters aren't going to have as much heartburn about uh, about the tax. Like there, there becomes this interesting thing of there's things that in the legislature and your ability to to communicate to a legislature are very big that for people who aren't actually in the Capitol uh, building. So all the real humans you know, in the Yeah. And so, well, yeah. but uh, I must say, uh, just to interject, I think that it's, on the short term you're right, but to pick a fight over pay increases in the first couple of weeks has diminishing political returns with the voter. I mean, four years from now, not a lot of people are going to remember that. And if he antagonizes legislators... To such a degree that they that because they, very few of the people in the Missouri General Assembly owe their elections to Eric Greitens. I mean, Eric, he's running against them. If they become convinced that he is writing them off, they'll write him off. And then you won't accomplish the things you want to do on tax reform and some of the other things that Eric Greitens wants to do. And then he's a failed governor. And it's a over the long term. I think it's a bigger hit to him than maybe he understands and the people around him understand. Right. Although I mean, I will, see, they're still in campaign mode. I, I mean, will, that, I that will whole say, up was Sam a, Sam Brownback's. You, there's an argument that Sam Brownback's biggest problem was that in the first few years as governor, he had a legislature that was too willing to do everything that he wanted. Right. And so but look it, where it, he is now. Yeah. I mean, he's out but, on the middle of a raft, but, floating down the but, river. But with that's nobody. that's my point. Is he's in that position because he had people who were willing to do to go with him for so many years. Right. And so, you know, maybe there is something to the idea of a bit of a separation between the legislature and the governor. Those don't necessarily hurt yeah. either, either, you know, there's a way And they did do, let's it. be clear, they did do right to work, which has been a goal of the Republican Party in Missouri for decades. That's an early success, kind of low-hanging so, so fruit. It's a huge success for him, yeah. and, for, and for the legislature. So they've got this joint win together. I think your, your point is well taken that does his short-term win here 
buy him long-term sour relations with the legislature and can't get things done. I think that's a real possibility. It's also a possibility that he's actually gained leverage here. So Could be. he walks away from a fight over pay raises is looking, I'm looking out for the taxpayer and you guys are looking out for yourselves. And so, therefore, he's got more clout over them going down the yeah. road. It could go either way or, or a little bit of both at the same time. Just to sort of put wrap up this whole discussion, I think the central problem with Eric Greitens, or at least one of the central problems, and Donald Trump, and to a degree even Sam Brownback, is you, at some point you must get out of campaign mode and move into governing mode. And I think that the Greitens people, their rollouts, they went, you know, they, they've gone out of their way to sort of stick, stick uh, you know, uh, poke a stick in the eye of some legislators and media people because they think they're still in campaign mode. Yeah, they're they do still, the thing where they announce the budget out yeah, in Nixa, Nixa which was kind of a, just a, a middle yeah, finger to the press. just a thumb in the eye, you know, just to say. And, and Trump, of course, has that in spades. And Sam Brownback's central problem to me has always been he's never really admitted the failure of his of his policies because he's still in campaign mode. He's still arguing. And I, I, I just think that at some point you have to drop that and say, okay, where's the, where's the middle ground? I think I think Sam Brownback thinks it's it's just that that darn media. Yeah, if they, well, we know if that. He, I mean, that was the interesting thing. So of like, when, when facts, we did our you know. end of year interview uh, uh, with Governor Brownback, he he brought up this one thing which I found very interesting. Which he complained that Missouri's monthly revenue report does not gain as much media attention as the Kansas revenue report. I mean, that's, he was getting very specific. Like he's like, you know, he just said, I, well, I don't know if Missouri releases a revenue report. Which because, they do. Uh, you know, I always see big headlines about the Kansas revenue report and, and they do, they do it in slightly different ways, right. which is one reason. They do uh, it a couple of days uh, later. Uh, they uh, wait for uh, Kansas to come out and then they say, by the right. way, we're doing fine. But they don't do, they don't do a monthly comparison yeah. of revenue. Yes, versus yes, estimates, that is correct. That's the difference in, in, in Missouri. They let us uh, do that. Uh, although I think the Missouri Revenue Department tweeted at Sam Brownback that they would be happy to add him to their email list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's a key thing, which is, um, you know, I, you, you know, I think that was the thing is for so long we had those terrible revenue reports. Well, Moody's put out something interesting this week because we've we've just had three months in a row where, where Kansas beat its revenue estimates, you know, for the first time in, right. in years. And. One reason is we finally got pessimistic. We finally started yes. getting pessimistic Realistic. reports, and we're now we're now beating those reports. And so, what Moody said is that the they noted that the revenue forecasting has improved, which is a very good thing for Kansas. But the revenue itself yeah, has it not improved. Horrible, so, okay. I think you know just one quick point. Your your idea that Brownback is still in campaign mode. I, I don't see it that way. And Brian would probably have a little more insight here. He thinks that what he's done has has worked. It's created new businesses, and that the fact that the the economic growth of the state hasn't been what we'd all had hoped for are, are the results of what's happened in oil and gas, aviation, air, aviation, agriculture. That's the so, central. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, so to suggest that he's in campaign mode and, and, and playing a cynical game, I think he's more of a, a true believer who feels like he's. He's done something that's transformed the state that in the long yeah. term will work out better. That's the, you, that's the central mystery of Sam Brownback. Does he believe his own? I think he does. I, th I think Brownback really does uh, believe, um, you know, that his policies, if given time, will work. Um, and that's you, you can always confront him with data. 
uh, including you know data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that that shows that you know Kansas had negative job growth in, right. in the past year, and he will point to some reason why why it didn't, but he's not he he's he's not appeared to lose faith in that idea that if we just give this time to work, it will. Right. Um, I think the big question is you know. They've often they often pointed to the Obama White House and these are national policies that are undercutting the wonderful things we're doing here in Kansas. Well, he's not going to have that option uh, really anymore, right. um, especially as um, especially as congressional Republicans and, and and Donald Trump look to actually copy uh, some of Sam Brownback's policies at, at the national level. All right, great. Anything else, fellas? Happy to be here. And great to have you here. Scott Cannon with the Kansas City Star, Brian Lowry with the Kansas City Star. Great to have you on the podcast. Again, you've been listening to D Background. We invite you to share your thoughts, your feelings, your arguments with us by email. Tell your friends about uh, the podcast and uh, be sure and subscribe if you don't already. We'll be back next week with some more insights into what we're covering here at the newspaper. Again, I'm Dave Helling. You've been on D Background.